Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the sustainable development goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks podcast. The system has to be designed in such a way that it integrates students and children from different backgrounds with their specific needs. And when I'm talking about needs, I think the education system in general has this one-fits-all mentality, modality, where, you know, schools are designed, curriculum are designed in such a way that we expect, you know, the students to be, all the students to be learning through the same mediums, through the same technique, but we're not looking at individual needs that students might have because of their backgrounds, because of their, you know, abilities or skills or whatever. So, yes, funding is there, but on top of that, I think there are a lot of layers that we still need to unravel to make this process more accessible. SDG Talkers, welcome back. Today, we're going to hear from Mohit Roniar, who is a leader around education in Nepal. Mohit leads an organization called Canopy Nepal that helps empower the education system throughout Nepal for underprivileged students. We're going to hear about the education system in general in Nepal and around the world and some of the traditional based thinking around memorizing stuff versus actually learning information and how we're measured in terms of test scores and, and how that ties to funding. And he'll give us some context about how we can make classrooms more accessible, more inclusive, and how we actually create learning environments that are not just memorizing stuff, but really empowering students to learn and become the leaders of our future. Hope you enjoy. Keep on SDG talking. Mohit Roniar, welcome to the SDG Talks podcast. How are you doing today? Very good, Kevin. Thank you for having me in the podcast. Of course. Where are you located today in the world? I'm based in Kathmandu in a city in Nepal. Awesome. I had the fortune of going to Kathmandu in 2017 and, and I look forward to going back sometime soon. Oh, we'll be very pleased to have you here again, Kevin. I would love to. And, and I know you're, you do a lot from just looking at your background. It's impressive with, with engaging with the youth and engaging with children. But for those of us that don't know much about you, give us some context on, on you and, and the, the organization you run, Canopy Nepal. So I'm basically the co-founder and director of Canopy Nepal. It's a social enterprise working in education. A little bit about me, I've been working in the field of education for over nine years now, working with students, teachers, parents, school, etc., etc. I actually, back in 2012, I was a teacher in an interest-based school that was created to support underprivileged kids from different parts of Nepal. I think that was one of the biggest change that my life needed, and that's what, that's what truly encouraged me to work in education. Currently, I'm also a part of this organization called Global Shapers Kathmandu. It's a community under the World Economic Forum. And apart from that, I also do consulting for various educational institutions uh, in Nepal, be it schools, colleges, other educational foundations, et cetera, et cetera. Talking a little bit about Canopy Nepal, we started this back in 2016 with the idea to create accessibility of education for underprivileged kids. And to promote interactive learning in classrooms. So when I talk about accessibility, we have a scholarship programs that support students from underprivileged backgrounds to you know, not just support them 
in terms of materialistic items, be it stationaries, educational items, healthy meals or uniforms, but it's also to support them on a psychosocial basis. And most importantly, we want our students, our scholars to get skills that will help them to survive in this world. So we involve them in a lot of trainings, a lot of sessions and workshops, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of interactive learning, we have designed different programs that are created to be immersive for the students, to teach them to learn by experiencing things, to help them improve on very simple skills like reading, writing, listening, speaking, but also at the same time, we expect them to improve on their critical thinking and creativity and even focus on storytelling as a medium to express themselves and be better independent learner. So yeah, Amazing. that's a very quick synopsis about me and Canopy. And, and storytelling is a lot of what we, we aim to do with SDG Talks. And, and I think part of it is to help paint a picture of, of what does the situation look like and, and what are you doing about it? And, and you gave some good in, insights to aspects with it's part of needing to provide uniforms, meals, it's, it's a holistic model with interactive learning. But for those of us that have never been in Nepal or don't know anything about the education system in Nepal, tell us about kind of a snapshot of what does the education system look like in Nepal with some of its challenges and what are some of the opportunities around uh, based on those challenges that you see with Canopy Nepal? I would say the education system of Nepal looks like what most of the education system look like in the world. It encourages rote learning and, you know, on memorization. It's very dependent on students memorizing things rather than understanding. And most of the learning is sort of happening inside the classroom. It's very limited, you know, and students are not really learning outside because students are not really taught how to think or critique or to express themselves, or even as simple as to ask questions to the teachers. Like the system sort of discourages students to ask questions, be interactive and involve uh, in an immersive way with the teachers in a you know regular basis. And about the education system in Nepal, I would say one of the biggest, like a few challenges is that it's very it's not accessible to all and it's not inclusive, right? So I was reading this report a couple of weeks ago that suggested only one out of three children receive early education, early childhood education in Nepal, which is, you know, that number is too low. And so that educational gap is there. And apart from that, we see a lot of quality issues in schools. The funding that the government allocates for education is very limited. There is a lack of uh, sufficient resources in, uh, you know, uh, public schools. The teachers are not trained. Like education and teaching is a job that is, you know, very secondary for people. They would first apply to five, six jobs. When they're generally rejected, they will then switch to teaching because that's one of their options they have, right? Apart from that, we see a lot of problem in problems in accountability and transparency. And we see a lot of politicization of schools, especially public ones compared to private ones, which sort of compromises students' learning and their education. And just like I said earlier, we see a lot of traditional approaches to learning. It's very conventional, you know, like the teachers are still using one dimensional. They will come up in a classroom, they will write things on the board without teaching it in the best possible way. They, they will expect the students to copy it, memorize it, go out there in the examination, 
just pour out whatever they uh, remember. So there is not much learning happening in edu- like in, in schools in Nepal and very limited creativity, very limited thinking is happening. I think one of the good things about the education system probably is the curriculum. Obviously, people might say the curriculum is very dense, but I think the curriculum that is designed is very holistic and it touches about a lot of areas. But the biggest struggle that we see is the implementation process. Like teachers really struggle implementing that curriculum in the classroom. So yeah, that's sort of like a very snapshot look of the education system. And I mean, I think about growing up and I'm not a good test taker by any means. And I remember studying for tests and just trying to memorize stuff and I hated it. That was something I really, I, did, I liked school, but I did not like test taking. and I didn't like having to memorize stuff. And it seems like we have this model of, hey, you need to take this test and perform to this model. So then there's some metric of the student, but then also the teachers in the class are then measured on how well students perform based on these tests. So I, I agree with you in terms of this traditional memorize model isn't maybe the, the best form of learning. How do you empower this, this interactive, immersive learning type environment? And then the second part of that would be, how do you then monitor progress or success among students? I think one of the biggest things that the education system in Nepal requires is First thing, it has to be accessible to people, right? Like right now, it's not accessible, it's not inclusive, so not everybody can, you know, attend education. We see a lot of students not even completing basic education level, right? So that's there, but I think one of the biggest, one of the steps that we can start taking is by simply increasing the investment that the government can do in public education. They can start allocating more resources for teachers. They can train the teachers. And even though if teachers are, let's say, not skilled enough to implement the curriculum in the best possible way, I'm sure they can be trained in the in the best way and they can really, you know, make the best out of the whole situation. And Another thing I think is like not just for Nepali schools, something that the entire world can easily take away from this thing is the whole education system should be, you know, it has to be a participative approach. Like we have to overcome this one dimensional learning where a teacher is the only person speaking 95% of the time. And when the students are interacting with them, it's mostly to answer one or two questions that the teacher asked, and that is to see if he or she was paying attention to the class or not, right? So those are a few steps that I think can truly improve the learning system in the education right now. And in terms of monitoring, I think we're still heavily relying on test scores rather than making you know, practical attempts to see if the student has really understood or not. So Here in Nepal, we see a lot of students, you know, if we see a student performing well, we cannot directly translate it into a fact that he or she has really understood the concept in the best way. They might have absolutely no idea about the concept. The learning can be zero, but the grading can show something completely different. So we need to change how we monitor our students, how we see if the students are progressing or not. And this is where we need to move away from this traditional approach and start looking into 
more interactive ways, approaches that will actually test the abilities, the skills of the students, and just to make sure that they are actually understanding what is being taught. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And I I think I just look at myself and even some of those around me where it's most important to be able to think. It's most important to be able to take a problem and then break it down and figure out, okay, well, what is the solution or why, what is the core root of the problem? As opposed to thinking, well, this number times this number equals that number. Grand, like fundamentals of certain education from math and science and, and literature, like a lot of those things are very important. Having said that, I agree that some of our traditional based learning is arguably kind of is based on an archaic system that was meant to show results or or maybe get funding. And I think what you've said is now twice or maybe three times, but how to make school accessible. And and I've heard in within the United States system, you see funding is often given to schools that perform well, that have good test results, and that that have students that are meeting these test results and you know taking these SATs and these SATs and performing well and, and things of that nature. But how do we make school, how do we make the education more accessible? It seems like a lot of that comes back to funding. And how do we make it so funding isn't directly aligned with meeting some random objective test objective that some organization set? I was actually, when you were talking about the American schools, it actually reminded me of this uh, podcast called Nice White Parents by the New York Times. And they are talking a lot about this uh, school system that is created in which we're seeing a lot of, you know, so-called diversity, but still it's not inclusive and it's still struggling with basic education. And even though the school based in New York has fundings, it is still not producing the result it should be producing compared to the fundings it is receiving. So, I agree to a lot of extent that, yes, funding is a big factor to create equitable access for students to receive education. But I think there are so many layers hidden that needs to be sorted out first to ensure that this, this process is, you know, accessible to all. Like, obviously, when we're talking about access, at least in Nepal, we might still talk about conventional accessibility. Oh, we need to improve, let's say, gender equality. The number of girls studying in schools is far, far low compared to boys, right? But what about communities from marginalized areas? What about students with disability? What about, you know, LGBTQ community? So it has to be, the system has to be designed in such a way that it integrates students and children from different backgrounds with their specific needs. And when I'm talking about needs, I think the education system in general has this one-fits-all mentality, modality, where, you know, schools are designed, curriculum are designed in such a way that we expect, you know, the students to be, all the students to be learning through the same mediums, through the same technique. But we're not looking at individual needs that students might have because of their backgrounds, because of their, you know, abilities or skills or whatever. So yes, funding is there. But uh, on top of that, I think there are a lot of layers that we still need to unravel to make this process more accessible. 
And when you were talking, it got me thinking about, I couldn't agree more. There's no one size fits all with a lot of things in life. And whenever we're trying to jam some solution down some end user's throat, but particularly with education where you've got kids from different socioeconomic backgrounds and particularly with some with physical, but in particularly mental disabilities in those are just the realities where across the entire world you have different issues from whether it's Down syndrome or ADHD or 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 even blind or deaf or there's a, a whole range of different disabilities that mean you you're on different paths and and I'd love to hear how do we provide some of these specialized tailored services and particularly and this is opening another can of worms, but within the the challenges of the pandemic going on, I know this has been a movement towards remote learning, but first touch on some of the challenges and, and what we can do with providing the services to special needs. And then, then let's get into how that's sort of tying into some of the evolution within the, the current state of the world. So like, just like you said, there is a big challenge when we're trying to incorporate you know, students and children from all backgrounds. And especially for a country like Nepal, where we're, you know, struggling to provide education to, you know, so-called privileged students, we're still, we're still seeing a lot of students from these marginalized communities falling back, right? And not just students from marginalized communities, we see students with physical and mental disability falling back. We see girls falling back, falling behind because the system is not, incor- is not created to, you know, incorporate everyone in, in a classroom. So even right now, we see a lot of challenges for students with special needs. We see challenges in incorporating students with, you know, be it Down syndrome or autism, or if they're uh, if they, let's say, are visually impaired or, you know, we still see that the schools have not been completely able to teach these students in the best or the most effective way. We do have some specialized schools, at least in Nepal, to try to address their needs. But in terms of numbers, it's very, very, very limited. And that too is only available in you know, some of the developed parts of Nepal, like the capital city or a few cities uh, around the country. But when you go to, you know, villages or when you go to places with that are still struggling with even basic infrastructure, that's where we're seeing how students are struggling a lot, especially if they have a certain disability or if they have a challenge uh, in front of them. Wow. Like, I mean, uh, just because we're talking about the pandemic a little bit, like to try to connect my arguments earlier to the pandemic and how the world has evolved. There already existed this huge gap in, you know, accessibility or inclusion in schools. And now that we have this pandemic, I, I just feel that because of this digital gap, the whole gap has just increased in an exponential manner. So before, let's say if five out of 10 students were struggling, I would say now because of the pandemic, because of so many challenges and so many requirements, uh, I would easily say eight out of 10 students are struggling just to get in a classroom simply because they don't have a digital device with them. They might not have internet access with them or their parents don't have enough money to pay their you know, school bills because of the whole pandemic. So 
we have a very fascinating and challenging world in front of us because of this pandemic. And obviously, students are struggling, but we also see students with special needs falling behind or even students with, you know, disabilities. They are falling behind because of all everything that is going on right now. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no one no one size fits all, as we said, and no clear cut solution on how we address this. But I think it's organizations like yourself, Canopy Nepal, that are providing these different options and tools. But as we've talked about, some of these challenges, particularly with some of the special needs, and especially with the pandemic, what next? I mean, what does the the future of education in Nepal? And, and even you could talk about the world uh, look like in the next six, 12, 24 months. And, and what are, what are maybe some quick, easy things? I guess nothing's easy, but what are some ideas and best practices that you have that should be implemented to help scale quality education for those, uh, those children and everyone in need? Well, that's a very difficult question that you just asked me because the world right now is so unpredictable and so unsafe in so many levels that it's just very hard to, you know, predict what might be the best solution, right? Like, I know a lot of people are trying to say, oh, let's just send the students back to the physical schools with all the precautions, all the safety measures. But wouldn't that risk the rise in the cases or rise in you know, the schools and students being unsafe and eventually the parents and the teachers, et cetera, et cetera. So in terms of a country like Nepal, the like one of the biggest things that the world has been, you know, sort of adapted well is that we lack behind in terms of technology. Uh, like we see a lot of students, a lot of families without any kind of digital access. They might not even have a smartphone with them. They might not even have televisions. They might not even have video. So Obviously, to those students or those families with access to some sort of digital accessibility, the government and a lot of organizations like Canopy, what we're trying to do is we've digitized our curriculum, we've digitized our program, and we're trying to run our programs through the internet where students have access to internet, access to a digital technology. But the main challenge lies for those without any access, right? There are a lot of instances, I would say, like I was reading this report where it suggested that in Nepal, only 10% students have access to internet, which is hor horrific. What about the 90%, right? So this is where we're sort of trying to step in uh, and we're sort of trying to see how we can support all these students. We're also working on a workbook that is good enough for students that they can use at their own convenience without internet, without any sort of, without even needing a device. That's a little bit about Nepal, but I would say in terms of like looking at the world in a bigger picture, I think education obviously is going digital. It has been digital and now the urgency to, to make it digital would just be you know, taking a great pace. And it's, it's actually a good opportunity for all the schools, the colleges, these educational institutions to understand the essence and importance of digitizing it. Like, you know, this traditional, conventional going to a physical classroom might not work all the time. So this also presents a good opportunity for these institutions to 
you know, sort of take it as a good time to digitize this curriculum, to basically teach students at their own pace, at their own convenience. You know, this also gives students a chance to learn whenever they want. Yeah. So it's interesting that we definitely have a bigger problem, but it's also sort of giving us a few opportunities that can be worked on. I totally agree. And with with these new opportunities comes change. And I've thought with within this realm of everything going digital and digitizing curriculum and, and making it kind of asynchronous, it's really cool because you can learn on your own means. And of course, if you have access to internet, if you have the devices, this works. The other stories, if you don't have it and the inequality there, but just generally interested in your thoughts, do you think there's a, maybe a, the, the traditional university institution systems, high school and college and upper grad, do you think that I've always been blown away at the, the, the enormous cost of these education systems? Do you think with the movement towards digital and remote learning that the perception of the value of the degree is maybe dwindling and people will be less likely to, to spend their own dollars to, to go to these schools? Or, or what are your thoughts on that? I think just like I mentioned earlier, it's a it's a good opportunity for these educational institutions to sort of explore this uncharted territory. Obviously, the concept of digital learning has been there for a long, long time. A lot of companies, a lot of organizations have been doing it for a long time. But I think for some reason, students just prefer to go to a physical classrooms and teachers prefer to teach in a physical setting. And I understand it has its own merits, right? But for schools or for institutions or for colleges that are, you know, not accessible, for them, what becomes an opportunity is they can truly create curriculums that is just available to everybody at a minimized cost. And even for students, it gives them an opportunity. Like, for instance, right now in Nepal, we see a massive rise in these digital learning, like people are using tools like Coursera and edX and this and that just to learn and understand the essence of learning things, even though they're not going to a school, they're not going to a college, right? So it's also a good thing at the end of the day that students or people in general are understanding the fact that they don't necessarily have to go to a really expensive school to learn new things. There are plenty of information in the internet. There are plenty of courses available. And just like you mentioned these courses do not necessarily have to be very expensive. They can be easily taken with the help of a mobile phone at your own convenience, at your own time, and to learn. So one thing I think that people should be taking away from this pandemic is that they should understand the fact that learning shouldn't be stopping simply because you're not going to a physical classroom. It can happen at any time, at any place, and at your own convenience. I agree 100%. And I, I personally have taken a few classes through edX and have messed around with Coursera and been really impressed with the, the product and service it delivers. And big believer in that you don't need to spend all this money to get some piece of paper that shows that you have some certification. It's, hey, if, if you got the skills and you know what you want and you know and you can bring value to someone, then that's all the employer or the market cares about. And I think I, I love hearing your, your mindset where it is changing and it's an opportunity for all those educators and education systems out there to pivot now. Because if not, 
you're going to be stuck in the past. And, and I don't see that, that uh, I don't see us going backwards. And like you said, I think the pandemic is an opportunity to move forward. And I'm excited about that. And, and, and would like to kind of parlay this into one of the last questions here in our chat around excitement and, and fear, you know, just generally of what's something that sort of scares you and keeps you up at night? And what's something that you're most excited about? within it could be around the education and, and what you're doing within Nepal or or just generally from a, a macro standpoint throughout the world? Well, there are a lot of things that possibly keeps me awake at night, probably because I'm scared or probably because I'm excited. I'm not much of a you know a person who can withstand a horror movie. So that might be one of the reasons. But since we're keeping our conversation towards education, I think something that truly worries me is the fact that we have so many students without the access to education, right? Like a lot of students, like if I just simply go outside my house and take a stroll around, I will see hundreds of kids in the street doing random things, probably selling just to sustain their family and really small kids, you know? And when I speak to one of them, just to get a sense if they go to school, they'll generally say they don't or they say that they miss classes because they want to earn money to sustain their families or their parents are forcing them to go to school, whatever, you know. So I am one of, I would say I'm one of those lucky ones who was able to receive education and to, and that enabled me to learn and that enabled me to make right decisions for myself to be sustainable, to be independent. But there are thousands of thousands of kids who cannot go to schools for so many reasons. And I think that also, that is one of the biggest things that really worries me when I think about education and kids in general. But one of the things that excites me, or let's say also complements this fear in a way, is the fact that through Canopy, we're trying to support as many kids as we can, support, give scholarships to as many scholars as we can reach to, or train as many teachers as we can, work with as many schools as we can. So obviously there exists this big problem that is in front of us, uh, but that also brings us a lot of challenges. And I think it's one of the biggest reasons why Canopy exists. Canopy exists because we want to see a change and we want to make sure students without that educational accessibility can now go to schools because of different reasons. Or, you know, we don't not to go to school simply because their parents are poor or their fam- families cannot afford it or they have to go do a full-time job at the age of 10 or whatever, you know. So that's where Canopy comes into picture. And, and another thing that we're truly, tru- that we truly believe through Canopy is the part where we are trying to promote interactive learning. So to be able to see a classroom with interactive students and teachers where they are asking each other questions, learning from each other, not just the students, but even the teachers learning from students where actual learning is happening, that's something that truly excites me. And that's something that also keeps me up at night just with the fact that, oh, wow, this is what I'm doing. There are so many things that I can do through Canopy. The team is very motivated and like trying to work and support as many students, teachers, parents, schools as we can. So, yeah. Love it. I mean, often what uh, 
scares us and terrifies us is, is sometimes what is our biggest passion and what we need to keep running towards. And, and if it doesn't scare you or, or give you some kind of pause and maybe it's, you, maybe you're complacent and hearing you see your passion and your drive to revolutionize and, and enhance education throughout Nepal is really inspiring. And, and I know that you're doing good things. I love learning and reading some of these, these articles and seeing everything about can, canopy Nepal and, I know there's other learners and change makers out there that are going to want to reach out to you. So I, I really admire and, and kudos to you, Mohit, and the work that you're doing. And I'm really excited to stay in touch and learn more about what's next for you and Canopy Nepal. Thank you very much, Kevin, for all those things that you've said. I definitely look forward to having you here in Nepal, probably to show you around the schools, about talk more about the work and even see possibilities where we can work together to create the world that we both of us want to see in the coming days. Couldn't have said it any better myself, Mahib. Well, thanks for your time and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much, Kevin, for having me. Good luck. Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash in United Nations community. The goal of the SDG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks. Mm-hmm.